from the studios of Farm Journal Broadcast. This is U.S. Farm Report. Welcome to U.S. Farm Report as we kick off our 2021 College Roadshow from right here at Iowa State University, thanks to Golden Harvest. And here's what's in store over the next 60 minutes this weekend. USDA giving its first field-based yield survey this week. There weren't a lot of surprises just because the trade had been looking at this and preparing for this. Chad Hart breaks down the biggest surprises and shakeups. As the threat of African swine fever enters the Western Hemisphere, hog prices are on edge. That's as Iowa researchers work to stop the spread of purrs and hog barns. And on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, an Iowa State student is balancing a love for his country and the quest for higher education. September irritations. The 2021 U.S. Farm Report College Roadshow from Iowa State University is brought to you by Golden Harvest. Learn how Golden Harvest is changing the game in corn and soybean products and providing service to farmers by visiting goldenharvestseeds.com. Well, as Iowa State University prepares to kick off against University of Iowa, a big thanks to Sukup Manufacturing for the prime real estate this week. But the big news came on Friday. USDA issuing an updated look at its yield projection, and that was based on actual field surveys. USDA raising its production and yield forecasts for corn, soybeans, and cotton in its September crop production report. Friday's report showed a national corn yield of 176.3 bushels per acre, which is 1.7 bushels above last month and 4.3 bushels higher than last year. With an increase in harvested area for grains, that brings total production to 15 billion bushels. 2% higher than August and 6% above last year's final total. USDA also raising the soybean yield forecast by 0.6 bushels to 50.6 bushels per acre. USDA reducing the harvested acreage number, but total soybean production is still forecast to reach 4.47 billion bushels. That would be 1% higher than last month's forecast. Iowa State economist Chad Hart says there were really few surprises in Friday's report from USDA. They found in general things looked a little better than what we thought they did in August, especially as we look at some of the drought prone areas. So you look at like the Dakotas, they actually bumped the yield up in North Dakota, in Minnesota, Nebraska, and even here in Iowa. USDA adjusting all cotton production forecast 7% higher, now at 18.4 million bales. If that forecast holds true, that means U.S. cotton farmers' total production will be 27% higher than last year's final number. USD also releasing its expectations for the supply and demand picture, as well as the export picture as it sets right now. USDA issuing cuts in corn used for ethanol and export, so new crop comes in at 1.4 billion bushels with old stocks at 1.1 billion. For soybeans, USDA projects higher beginning stocks on a lower crush forecast. There's definitely still some wiggle room here. In fact, when you looked at the USDA reports, they were very explicit in saying, hey, Ida hit at the end of the month. We did not have time to fully incorporate those impacts into these estimates. Well, USDA also making several key announcements this week, including one that could substantially impact the biofuels industry. Meat prices are rising at the grocery store, and now the Biden administration is laying out initiatives 
it hopes will help consumers along with farmers and ranchers. The White House says consolidation in beef, pork and poultry processing has raised prices and hurt consumers, adding that just four large conglomerates control the majority of the market for each of those products. And it says these companies have been raising prices while generating record profits during the pandemic. Now, USDA Secretary Tom Vilsack laying out the plan for change this week at the White House. Any one of these facilities, uh, whether it's a cyber attack in JBS or whether it's uh, uh, COVID basically shutting down some of Tyson's facilities, it causes disruption in the market. The administration also says it wants Congress to work together regarding the transparency issue and says it's encouraged to see bipartisan legislation that seeks to improve prices discovery in the cattle market. Tyson Foods releasing a statement saying that it rejects the conclusions drawn at the White House briefing, saying, quote, multiple unprecedented market shocks, including a global pandemic and severe weather conditions, led to an unexpected and drastic drop in meat processors' ability to operate at full capacity, end quote. Tyson also saying it's due to an oversupply of live cattle and an undersupply of beef. Tyson also cited labor shortages as another factor impacting pork and poultry supplies. Now, there is concern the drought in the West could push prices for meat even higher. And that's why USDA says it is expanding its help for producers in drought-stricken areas. The idea here is to help cover feed transportation costs for livestock that rely on grazing. USDA says it's updating its emergency assistance for livestock honeybees and farm-raised fish program to cover the costs. Producers will be able to apply for the assistance later this month through their local Farm Service Agency office. All right, that's it for the news. Well, extreme heat took hold of the south, including Texas this week, while cooler temperatures blanketed portions of the north. We'll have a check of weather when we come back with meteorologist Mike Hoffman. Find farm equipment on Machinery Pete's September 21st auction. Items start closing September 21st. Go to auctions.machinerypeat.com to register. No reserve, no buyer fees. Start bidding now at auctions.machinerypeat.com. Meteorologist Mike Hoffman joins us now with weather. Mike, we could not have asked for better weather to kick off our 2021 College Roadshow from right here in Ames, Iowa. But, you know, some areas of the country this week seen some heat. Other areas seen some much cooler temperatures. That cooler weather, is that a hint of more to come as we head into September? Well, good morning to you, Ty. And I think what's going to happen this week is the southern states will see the warmth, relatively warm weather, uh, continue, but we'll see movement across the east, so kind of ups and downs in the temperatures. I'll show you those weather maps coming up. In the meantime, you can see the wet areas across the country. Uh, that Arkansas area that's been there for month after month is shifting slightly, uh, mainly because of the tropical moisture that we saw from Ida, but you can see uh, Mississippi kind of the center of it now, but it does go up into the St. Louis area, southern Illinois. Also a new pocket over uh, parts of South Dakota and some of the surrounding areas. Uh, still very dry out west. Now the longer term drought, it's still very dry uh, up across the northern plains, but we've been seeing that getting eaten away because of the moisture from time to time. And so that's uh, good news in the long term, but still extreme drought over parts of the uh, Canadian border area of the northern plains and many places out west. Just not a lot of drought farther to the east, as you can see. Uh, jet stream as we head into this week, kind of a zonal flow through the northern tier of states. This is what I'm talking about. 
kind of stays uh, the same down south. Not a lot of movement. A little bit of a trough coming into the Great Lakes, northern Mississippi Valley for the middle of the week. Some showers and storms followed by cooler air. And then uh, you can see things just keep moving from west to east through the northern tier of states. There's Friday, and it looks like it might start to heat up again as we head into the Great Lakes in the east as we head into next weekend. That trough might get interesting there. We'll have to see if that picks up too much in the way of moisture in the uh, southern plains, especially Texas. Now we're going to have an area of low pressure just kind of sitting there for a while this week. So there you go to start on Monday. Uh, showers and storms, southeast Texas, southern Louisiana, uh, northeastern Mexico, also south Florida scattered. This front will kind of stall out, so uh, scattered showers and thunder showers along it. A little bit more activity through the northern uh, plain states. Uh, still hot in the southwest, obviously. And you'll have occasional days where you have a shower, a thunderstorm kind of popping up in the afternoon. On Wednesday, that system is still in southeast Texas. Cool front with showers and storms, middle Mississippi Valley into the Great Lakes. Another cool front coming in out west. And you can see on Friday then, still the moisture remaining. Uh, Texas, that kind of goes up into parts of Arkansas and Oklahoma, also Florida. Other than that, we're looking at warmth across most of the country here. A few showers through the northern tier of states and a couple of systems there moving from west to east. So here you go. 30-day outlook for temperatures. I'll still go above normal for most of the northern tier of states down through majority of the west. Below normal for the southern Mississippi Valley, parts of the southeast, mainly because of your wet ground. That'll keep high temperatures down slightly. As far as precipitation goes, 30-day outlook above normal northeast Great Lakes and the far southeastern plains. Below normal southeast and much of the northern Rockies and the West Coast. Time. Thanks, Mike. Well, now that we have the WASD numbers, what about the ports in the south that were hit by Hurricane Ida? Are those opening back up for business? Plus, we'll take a look at the livestock markets on edge because of African swine fever. We'll talk markets when we come back from right here at Iowa State University. Well, welcome back to our 2021 College Roadshow in partnership with Golden Harvest. Excited for our panelists today. We have a couple Iowa State University economists as well as one alum. And Chip, I'll start with you real quick because, you know, this week, USDA report, WASDE crop production, really that's what took the headlines on Friday. But uh, actually some, some data was leaked out before those reports yeah. that we were expected to get on Friday. Right, the FSA certified acreage data came out two days ahead of schedule. It was posted accidentally, and once it was posted accidentally, they had to put it out there because somebody had already seen it. So that, that information is out there. It's suggesting, uh, and we knew this from the August data already. The August data already suggested that corn acres should probably be increased about a million, maybe as much as 1.3, 1.4 million. Soybean acres should be increased a bit, not a whole lot. Dermot, you know, last time we spoke here in Iowa, it was during World Pork Expo, and there was a lot of talk about Prop 12, and that was really what we were focused on. Boy, have things changed in just a matter of months. Uh, concerns about African swine fever now that we saw it enter the Western Hemisphere. What is your biggest concern when it comes to ASF right now? Biggest, biggest concern is that we get it here, especially if it, if it gets into our feral swine. We, we cannot control them, um, so if we get it in the feral swine population, it's here to stay, and uh, our exports are in the dump. As an industry, it seems like we've worked really hard to, to, to keep ASF at bay, keep it out of our country. We continue to do that. Uh, but, you know, when you look at exports, if 
we should see ASF enter here. What would happen? Well, what happened with Germany is they lost their export opportunity into Asia, and that probably would happen, almost certainly would happen here. Germany was able to ship its, its pork into Spain and then Spain exported into Asia, but we don't have that opportunity. So uh, how do you get Americans to eat 25 to 30% more pork? And uh, it, it's a challenge. And demand has been stellar. And you know, we have seen uh, prices really show signs of that. Does it seem like prices are on edge because of ASF or is it just industry as a whole right now? I mean, have we seen any impact since uh, ASF was detected in the Dominican Republic? Well, I think you may see some, you know, short term reactions to it. But really, this has been a concern if we go back to when it when it hit China. Right. Yeah. And we've seen it in Asia. And, and so I, I think it's one of many factors that obviously it's, it's a big factor kind of overhanging the demand picture. But there's a lot of bright spots too of, of why yeah. we're at where we are at for prices today. Yeah, and talk about some of those bright spots and could that continue to support prices if we do not have ASF issues that enter here? So I mean, the, the big one is we're, we're seeing some cost push inflation. It, it costs more to produce pork today. Yeah. Uh, you're, you're seeing lower supplies of pork, but then we're just seeing demand a lot stronger than we expected, right? I think you're seeing really a return to maybe that 50-50 food away from home, food in home. I, I, there's some reverberations there, but overall pork demand has held up. I think beef prices being where they're at has certainly helped mm -hmm. that, uh, but the protein demand picture is great both here in the U.S. and, and on the export front. Yeah, Chip, you know, what about the feed side of it? I mean, a lot can change depending on a USDA and what we see in the upcoming WASD and crop right. production reports the rest of this year. But uh, do you feel like this is a pricing opportunity for feed users right now? I think we can still afford to be patient depending on how this market reacts this week to the USDA report. If we get a slam down to a to a harvest low, I think it, a harvest low happens early and we start to come right back up because the importers are already showing that they're gonna be value buyers in here. Uh, if we just kind of grind to the downside, it's gonna lengthen it out and our buying opportunity for livestock producers, is probably gonna come late October, November, something like that. But it, it's all about the initial reaction and, that it, and whether or not we, we really pound it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, well, uh, we have much more to talk about here on U.S. Farm Report, but let's take a quick break and then we'll have much more when we come back on U.S. Farm Report. Well, we saw a few combines rolling heading to Iowa State University this week. And as we enter September, it's a month that typically welcomes harvest in areas like Iowa. But it is a month where we still focus on weather. Here's John Phipps. After a fairly warm summer here, albeit with lots of rain, you'd think I would be looking forward to cooler weather and the joys of harvest. Now, most of the time I am, but September can be a notoriously cruel month. For example, right now, nearby trees are sending out scout leaves to report the best possible route into my gutters and our pool. The best of my lawn is giving up the battle to crabgrass, which not only looks bad, but mows worse, leaving clumps of residue that do not go quietly. Pristine crops are suddenly blighted by super late emerging weeds that I swear weren't there last week. The water holes, which we knew were sizable last June, after 10 inches of rain in one week, suddenly revealed themselves as gigantic 
and lush with those patient weeds. Worse still, even experienced eyes are flummoxed by five-acre water holes, guessing them from two to forty acres, depending on whether the markets are going up or down that day. Meanwhile, out in the fields, production possibilities become an obsession. Now, the Pro Farmer Crop Tour team has explained carefully the yield estimating procedure. I sort of do my own surveys with slightly less attention to detail. I only go in two or three rows so I can't get lost, for example. Then I carefully pace off five and a half steps for the correct distance and population. I count the ears and then precisely pick a couple of typical ears or the largest ones. Then I multiply all this stuff in my head, dividing by the ever dubious kernels per bushel factor to determine whether the crop is terrible or not terrible. Soybeans are another story altogether. My preferred method is to drive by slowly on the wrong side of the road and or check out the roadside fields when I walk before supper. After 40 years of such careful observing, I fall for the same soybean gag every year. Just before turning yellow, the pods are suddenly more prominent. The leaves are drooping and the pods are filling, I guess. But then something weird happens. The pods disappear using some kind of camouflage so that when you drive by, it becomes obvious the crop is a total failure. As more leaves turn and drop, the pods get darker and they're slightly more visible. Okay, there may be some beans out there, but remember the rules about soybeans. First, nobody can estimate the yield of standing beans. In fact, I have never been able to rank our soybeans fields from best to worst before harvest. The second rule is soybeans lie and take advantage of our natural affection for things tall and beautiful. The last rule is your neighbor's beans always look better than yours. In fairness though, they usually are. So what happens when you get a group of ag engineers together that are passionate about tractors? Well, they form a group and they compete on a national level. When we come back, we'll head to Sukup Hall to introduce you to the Cyclone Power Pullers. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by AgriGold, your seed ally in the field with unparalleled options that perform on your farm. Learn more at agrigold.com. Well, we're showcasing a different type of tractor tails this week from Iowa State. And as Machinery Pete shows us, it's building a tractor from the ground up that can teach lessons that extend beyond the traditional classroom. It's a lab that comes to life each year. The goal is to win competition. As the Iowa Power Pullers design a competition tractor. We start from scratch. From the ground up. Every team uses the same 31 horsepower Briggs and Stratton engine and uh, no performance upgrades are allowed. A creation that takes months to engineer. It's the pulling event, but then we also have a maneuverability, durability, overall static judging, so appearances, safety, ergonomics, as well as just overall design. From showcasing their engineering skills to even providing a cost analysis of their creation, each team member finds their niche as they prepare and build the tractor for competition. I've gotten heavily involved in the electrical and controls and software side of our tractors, which as the years have gone on, our tractors have gotten a lot more advanced compared to the very early tractors. It's also the funding and partnerships that require constant attention. My niche is the bureaucracy of it, actually. From finding the funds and sponsors. 
Uh, just material donations alone is, is amazing. To working with the university on safety and other elements in preparing for the competition, it's a team effort. We needed four valves for our solenoid block, and there were three in the U.S. We got those three, and then the fourth one, there was one in Germany that we couldn't even get here on time, so we had to design around that this year. It's a constant effort that these team members commit to around the clock. We have the manpower and a lot of knowledge, and we think we have a very good concept of how to make a really competitive tractor for next year. Thanks, Greg. Well, what if UV light could kill PERS? It's all work being done right here at Iowa State University, and we'll show you how it could go from the lab to the farm next. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. Trusted, timely, tradition. The 2021 U.S. Farm Report College Roadshow from Iowa State University is brought to you by Golden Harvest. Learn how Golden Harvest is changing the game in corn and soybean products and providing service to farmers by visiting goldenharvestseeds.com. Welcome back to our College Roadshow. Well, PERS became a real threat across pig farms in areas like Iowa this year. The PERS variant that took hold this year continues to be detected on farms across Minnesota, Iowa, Illinois, South Dakota, as well as Wisconsin. But thanks to research from right here at Iowa State University, the key to killing the virus may be UV light. Inside this small lab. Testing three different kinds of UV wavelengths. Is research tackling a big issue within pork production today? Porcine reproductive respiratory syndrome or PERS? It is one of the most economically uh, impactful diseases uh, in the swine industry. There's no single comprehensive way to control it. Funded by the National Pork Board, researchers here are studying how UV rays not only control the airborne illness, but kill it. The germicidal UVC lamps, they are you know, widely available in the market. The eczema ones are, are more expensive and it's, it's used in research facilities, not widely used uh, in the public. While certain UV lamps may be more expensive today, it's lower maintenance than air filters. The filtration actually traps the virus on the filters. It does not actually kill the pathogens, but UV on, the side, UV on the other hand actually kills it. So just how effective is UV light in killing PERS? This researcher says it's very effective. We could inactivate more than 99% of airborne PERS virus in less than two seconds using, uh, using either the 254 or 222 nanometer. The test was done on a PERS variant with the help of Iowa State School of Veterinary Medicine. I think this uh, UV Technology might provide an alternative way of mitigating airborne transmission of diseases of, you know, for swine, for poultry, for or other animal facilities. And it's not just airborne illnesses being studied here. It's all about agriculture and environment, particularly livestock agriculture. It's also manure. There is tons of different compounds making up uh, what we would normally perceive as uh, manure odor far downwind. 
by diving into the science behind the manure. But the interesting thing is not everything is actually smelling that bad. These researchers are uncovering manure traits. There is obviously up those fecal barnyard smells, but uh, there is like popcorn smells, there is mushroom smells. They all kind of hiding in, so not all that bad. Some smells that are overpowered by others as the team discovered a byproduct of ethanol can actually mask the odor. Probably the biggest uh, impact is actually, uh, for example, improving quality of manure, making man not just solving odor, not just mitigating emissions. Biochar is a byproduct of ethanol production, and when applied to manure, the smell is often reduced. I found with bi-weekly reapplication of biochar, you can mitigate up to 80% of odorous volatile organic compounds, and as well as mitigate up to 50% of ammonia. And the biochar application process is actually simple. We will be applying the biochar, usually a powder form of the biochar, and we will apply just a thin layer on top of manure surface. And uh, that's it. That will do, its, do all its work. Benefits that could show up in the environment. Once we apply this biochar to manure pit, it will mitigate all the hazardous emissions and uh, keep the nutrient to the manure while also boosting yields. There are studies showed with the addition of biochar, you will increase the yield of crops as well. Well, there's also research being done about antibiotic resistance in manure. We will actually talk about that coming up on U.S. Farm Report. But first, we will hit on the demand side of things for both livestock and grains. We'll continue our marketing roundtable from right here at Iowa State University when we come back. Welcome back to U.S. Farm Report. This weekend, picking back up our marketing discussion. Well, I just showed you some research that they're doing right here at Iowa State University when it comes to the impact UV light could have on actually killing the PERS virus. And this year, PERS, uh, when you look at, at Dermot, that virus really had a big impact on production this year. Do you think we fully grasped just how big of an impact it had? I don't think so. It, um, it, it's showing up in the inventory numbers now, and, and uh, it, apparently it's a strain that's much more lethal than, than we had before. And it seems like, are we seeing an, a, a, another wave of that, Dermot, or has that kind of calmed a bit? I thought it had calmed, but Chip, mm -hmm. I know for sure. Yeah, I think it's calmed down for now, and it's like, it, it's, um, it, it's more of a cold weather disease that we need to watch out for. But it took a bite out of those, out of the market hog numbers, and it's one of the reasons that the market has been able to hold up as well as it has. Yeah, Lee, I mean, when you look at some of these numbers, uh, when you look at the hogs and pigs report, and, and, and when do you think we may get a better indication of just how big of an impact PERS had? 
Well, I, I think, you know, if you want to help quantify that impact, USDA thought we'd be down about one and a half percent on the summer slaughter, just mm -hmm. given what their marketing inventories were. Now, again, we're benchmarking that against last year, so that, that's kind of difficult, but we've been down over 7%. So, you know, wow. I think there's some things that were difficult to quantify and PERS certainly being yep. one of them okay. um, in the marketplace. We have another hog and pigs report coming up here at the end of the month, which will give us September one inventories. You know, I'll note that that's usually the biggest inventory of the year. Uh, and so that'll be really helpful to kind of benchmark where we're at far as supplies, both short term, but also much going into 2022 and beyond. You know, we had some rulings on line speeds, uh, Dermot, and we have we had that impact when it comes to some of the processing capacity that we really need in, in, in this country or because we've had less because of some of this PERS virus, has exactly. that offset it? Exactly, it offset it. Uh, we, I was looking at a re repeat of 2019 again when we, end of fall, we had some capacity issues and we had great exports, but it didn't translate into live hog prices. Um, and in, 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 fortunately, in a way, we have fewer pigs right now, so the, uh, the impact of the line speed this fall is not gonna be as, as severe as, as we thought. When could then the line speed change have an impact? Uh, we're, the, the signals to the pork industry are, are get back into expansion mode. And uh, when those extra pigs hit the market, we don't, we don't have the capacity yet. And I'm not aware, except for one possible possibility up in Northwest Iowa, I'm not aware of any uh, planned right. new capacity. Chip? Right. Uh, I, I think the line speed issue and the, the slaughter capacity is going to become a limiting factor overall in our expansion plans, at least in Iowa. Right. You think so, Dermot? Yeah. 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 Oh, well, well I'll even dig in a little bit. It, it's operational capacity, ah, right? Yeah. It, and we a lot of times talk about physical capacity for new plants coming online, but operational capacity is much lower and it's much lower in this environment because yeah. of the labor challenges that we've seen um, have really highlighted kind of that, that constraint we have. Yeah, and I mean, labor challenges are huge. This week, though, at the at the White House, we had an announcement about meat prices, and they said meat prices, we've really seen those increase at a rate uh, that's, that's faster uh, than other food products. And they didn't necessarily call out market manipulation, but it seems like that was the underlying trend there that they were addressing nationally at the White House this week. Do you think that has any impact on our major meat uh, packers in this country? Well, there, this has been a, an observation that's been made for some time now is we've seen the spread between wholesale prices, uh, which would be uh, your, your middleman before retail prices and cattle prices or hog prices, that widening, right? And now you're, you're seeing retail prices at some of the highest levels we've ever seen. And so there's people asking questions, why is that, that the case, right? I think a lot of it is, is, is market fundamentals. We're seeing tighter supplies. And how we talked about before, demand is, is incredible right now. Um, that's how you get those um, spreads in those prices or um, at least the direction in those price movements. The, the willingness to consume more meat at a higher price is a real increase in demand. It's not fake. And we are seeing it big time in bo for both beef and pork. And, and exports too, right? Yeah. They, they came out with the July export numbers and, and quantities were higher. and. Uh, prices were higher. There's only one way you get that. It's, it's an increase in demand. Well, right. speaking of demand real quick, last week, Hurricane Ida really taking a bite out of prices, especially as we saw uh, some of the, the grain facilities down in the Gulf impacted. Have we seen that recovery fully or how long do we think that's going to take? I think it's still going to take some time before we if we can get back to about 85% capacity by October 1, I think we're going to be okay. I don't think we're there quite yet. All right.
Thank you all for joining us. We really appreciate it. We have much more to cover from our 2021 College Roadshow from right here at Iowa State when we come back. Well, researchers right here at Iowa State University are researching antibiotic resistance, but ones found in animal manure and their research could help manage antibiotic resistance in both animals as well as people. Inside this building. So these PVC pipes are columns of prairie strips. Is where Iowa State researchers are digging into the role agriculture may or may not play in a growing medical concern. This project is looking at antimicrobial resistance and how it incurs as a result of agriculture. And this is an area where data is really missing in connecting the dots between how we manage agriculture and how antibiotic resistance in the hospitals might be occurring. Adina Howe says their work is focusing on the use of antibiotics in swine production and the impact on antimicrobial resistance. It could occur in a hospital from overprescribing and use of antibiotics. It could be also occurring from usage in agriculture from producing animals, keeping them safe and healthy um, so that we can use them for global food. Research two decades in the works, Howe's team is taking a different route now. We have found also that there are, are potentially ways to manage that occurrence and emergence of these, this resistance. Focusing on manure applied as a fertilizer on farm fields. As animals are fed antibiotics, uh, it goes into their guts, it gets excreted into the manure, and we apply this manure onto soils. One of the concerns is it then rains, and that rain pushes the antibiotics into our waterways. That's where this work comes in. Part of our question is how much soil profile affects the amount of antibiotic resistance in our water that filters through the soil. By extracting actual samples of conservation prairie strips from Buchanan County fields, those samples are then brought back here. We simulated runoff from a, we're, we're pretending that a field that got manure had a big rainfall event, water picked up that manure and is washing it towards waterways. He says the idea is the prairie strips intercept water that's flowing over land, helping remove the antibiotic resistance gene. So what we did was we made a dilute solution of either digestate or manure or mineral fertilizer. We used this needle cap to apply it so that it came out in about 15 minutes. And as it filters to the bottom of the cylinder, the lab can then quantify the amount of antibiotic resistance genes they find. We've found 15 to 20. Um, the trick is identifying the genes that are specific to manure and that aren't already present in the environment. The researchers have found soil structure and soil type does matter. What we're kind of realizing now is the soil structure could have a really big impact on how fast these antibiotic resistance genes move through the system and how well they might be removed. As the data washes in, Howe says the goal isn't to eliminate antibiotic use in animals or people. What we need to be thoughtful is how do we sustainably manage it and also work with stakeholders like farmers and other agricultural managers to sustainably treat and mitigate this risk that we know is something important to all of us. Funded by USDA, this research could reach beyond Iowa. I think this research has a huge impact. We're filling in data that currently does not exist. And without data, you can't make a decision. So one of the things we're really invested in is making decisions easier for people who need to make decisions. As the team sets their sights on more advancements. So my next sort of theory is we need to retain the water on the lands before they come off 
to allow them to sort of be affected by the native soil microbial community and hopefully the antibiotic resistant bacteria are outcompeted by the native soil bacteria. It's a lab creating possible solutions with conservation tools already used on some farms today. Well, last week during the Farm Journal Town Hall with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, Vilsack called the relationship between China and the U.S. complicated. And John Phipps talks about that complicated relationship when we come back. More China feedback. U.S. Farm Report is brought to you by New Holland. Visit your local New Holland dealer or find out more at newholland.com. Last week, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack called the relationship between the U.S. and China complicated, but that relationship is also drawing some scrutiny from our viewers. Here's John Phipps. I got more comments regarding China and our relationship with them. The real problem isn't China's ownership of U.S. interests. The real problem is that the U.S. farmer cannot survive without China purchasing our farm products. Every year, production increases for our farm commodities, and we become more dependent on China to purchase that production. That's from Mark Leonard's. Send me addresses, guys. The observation is accurate, but remember the bathtub theory of commodities. Beans is beans, so to speak. They just flow back and forth. Currently, China accounts for 60% of that global soybean trade. China needs around 100 million tons each year, of which we supply about 20. Brazil supplies over three times that amount, between 60 and 70 million tons. Uh, keep in mind these numbers are from a screwy business year, 2020, but they should give a rough idea of the proportions. The trade calculations also must deal with how much can flow through the ports in each country and the seasonality of bean harvest, particularly Brazil, which has smaller storage capacity compared to their production. Now, I think this situation is both a problem and an advantage right now. China and the U.S. simply need each other for soybean trade. In a future show, I will list what options I think we will have to make China do what we want. It's not a big selection, and trade actions almost always backfire. Mutual economic dependence via trade is a powerful moderating force for avoiding extreme actions. Got this one from Tony Kimball. Didn't realize you were a supportive of communism. You should be ashamed. Well, I didn't say I was, but I know any defense uh, on my part really doesn't matter anymore. However, I remember the days of calling schoolmates pinkos and commies as the worst possible insult. So there is an element of nostalgia in your criticism. I also have been around long enough to have experienced the brutal process of fighting communism in Southeast Asia. Vietnam is still a communist country, but 43% of their economy is now private sector. They are an increasingly important trade partner with the U.S. Communism as a political theory is one thing, but it is the new blend of capitalism and socialism, often called state capitalism, that should hold our attention, in my opinion. This one. John is embarrassing himself again. He's a liberal hack. I vote to ship him one way to China. And that's from Kip Martindale. Oh, Kip, it's worse than that. I may be one of the last surviving liberal Republicans, a Rockefeller Republican, if that brings a bell. 
And as my Chinese-born pastor has discovered, getting into China from the U.S. to see her family right now is virtually impossible. So your latter suggestion will have to wait. Thanks, John. Well, coming up on the 20th anniversary of 9-11, one Iowa State student is serving his country while also providing key leadership within the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences here at Iowa State University. We'll tell you exactly how next. Well, to end our College Roadshow from right here at Iowa State University, we thought it was fitting with the 20th anniversary of 9-11 to find a military tie. And we found Gannon Cook, a senior ag business major right here at Iowa State University, but also enlisted in the Marine Reserves. Gannon, when did you do that? So I enlisted uh, in July of 2017, uh, right after I graduated high school. Spent uh, three months basic training in um, San Diego, and then spent another two months in uh, just north of San Diego in Camp Pendleton. It seems like you love agriculture. You're president of the Ag Business Club here at Iowa State University, which is a huge ag organization here. So what have you grown to really love about the ag business side of it? Yeah, so I grew up on a family farm and uh, that was really my only exposure to agriculture. I had no idea about all the different opportunities that are within agriculture and that's something that, will, that really has driven me. So then again, as you balance the military commitments that you have, as well as now your commitments to Iowa State University. You know, how have you been able to do that over the last several years? Time management, I guess, a little bit and a little bit of luck. Um, but uh, really, it really just comes down to time management. Well, thank you. Again, we appreciate you joining us to end our College Roadshow from right here at Iowa State University on this 20th anniversary of 9-11. Thank you so much for joining us this weekend. Be sure to join us next weekend as we work to build on our tradition from Kansas State University. U.S. Farm Report is produced and distributed by Farm Journal Broadcast.